Anyway, let me get started. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and start. Father God, you are a good and gracious God. I thank you so much for your word. Uh, Your word is truth and your word gives us light. Um, Your word is a lamp to our feet. And I thank you that it's truth that we can rely on and go back to. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, that you would allow me to um, speak truth with clarity and boldness um, and encouragement and joy and freedom. I pray for all of us that we would walk out of here refreshed, that you are God, um, that you give us purpose, that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're talking about Titus 2, being a worker at home. This is like the Christian woman worker talk. And just like I've done with the past couple talks I've given, I want to lay a foundation. And I told Andy that, and he goes, that's called an introduction, Lauren. I was like, oh, well, my introduction is half my talk. So we're going to start with that. I wanted to really talk about a worldview of work before we talked about specifics of what it means to be a worker at home. And first of all, Christian women are often called daughters of the king. Have you guys ever heard that before? You're a daughter of the king. If you were in youth group, maybe in middle school or high school, you might have gotten a crown. I don't know. The, they paint pictures. I'm not sure. There's just a lot that goes with that daughter of the king phrase. And it's true. We're adopted as children of God. He is the king. But sometimes that description, daughter of the king, can kind of derail us with the vision of what it really means. Sometimes it brings up pictures of like fancy dresses or crowns or a high position or anything related to royalty or sometimes even, well, I think most of the time, a comfortable life. Like, I am the daughter of the king. I deserve this kind of lifestyle. God promises promises me comfort um, and ease and kind of without any responsibility. And so really our adoption is not about moving social statuses or being comfortable. Um, It's really about us going from being enemies of God to his children, that God has now adopted us into his family. And this adoption is really amazing because we have salvation in Christ. We're his children. We get to be with him forever. Um, He cleanses our souls, but also he gives us responsibility. We're workers now. We're part of his family and we do work. If you have children or you were raised in a household, there was probably work that you tell your kids to do. Or you, I mean, you're part of the family, like my kids. I'm like, you have to clean because you are part of this family. You work because you, you belong to me. And so with that adoption, we have salvation, but also we're called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So we have these great privileges. I mean, we have the God of the universe that is our father that we can call to. We have um, his blessing on us. We are saved through his son, but we also have great responsibilities, and that includes work. And not just any work, but God's work. So a lot of times when we think about work, we can zero in on thinking just about a career or a job. Like work means you, you go to a place where you get a paycheck. But there's a bigger picture to work, and scripture has given us truth and wisdom about work. So I wanted to start with four truths about work. And the first one is that work is not optional. Work, if you are a Christian, you work. This is just part of who you are, your purpose. It's part of your purpose. So God has given both men and women 
work to do to not only cultivate this world. We read in Genesis that when God created man and woman, he asked them to subdue the earth, to take dominion over it, to fill it. We have this work in partnership with women and men have this work together to cultivate this world. And we're also called to advance God's kingdom. This is part of our work. And so when it comes to women, God's word is not silent in regards to our priorities of Christian female work. And so I'm going to go over just a couple. I'm going to throw out a few. And some of these are particular to women. Some of them involve men too. But here's a few. We have Genesis 2. We're called, women are called to be helpers to their husbands. They are also co-laborers with them to cultivate this earth. We have in Genesis 2 and 3, we know that childbearing and child rearing is part of the female design. And that definitely is work. <clears throat> And we have 2 Corinthians, we're called ministers of reconciliation. We have Titus 2, 4. We have work to do to disciple the next generation of women. <clears throat> and then we have Titus 2, 5. We're talking about today that we're called to work in loving our husbands and our children. And we're called to work by making the home a priority. And we have, of course, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, and it talks a lot about the home and the woman's work within the home, and that it's a place of industry, a place of hospitality, a place of rest. And then we have 1 Timothy 5, and Tim or Paul is actually telling Timothy about widows and giving instruction about who can be enrolled, what widow can be enrolled in the church to receive support from the church for her living if her husband has passed. And he gives qualifications for this. So I know that um, this might not pertain to us in our current situation, but we can look at these character traits of what is honorable and virtuous um, of these widows. And it says in verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And I look at those things, I'm like, women work. We do good works. We do them for the Lord. We're given over to hospitality for caring for people. And so those are some of the things that we're called to work at and work in. So number two, another truth about work is that work is worship. All this work that I just mentioned is worship to God. It worships him. It glorifies him. It's an opportunity to live for God and in reverence to him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When you work, do it for the glory of God. So this work that God has given us requires a faithfulness and a perseverance. And not only to do these things and to continue to grow in doing these things, but also to believe that they honor the Lord. To believe that your work in the home, that your work in caring for people, that your work wherever can glorify the Lord, that it's honoring to the Lord and it's a blessing to us and it blesses those around us. So number three, so work is worship. Number three, work unto the Lord requires a death to self. So as a Christian woman, as Christian women, we are given great freedom in Christ, but this freedom isn't to live for ourselves. It's a freedom to live 
for God's will. It's a freedom to do God's will. I loved Pastor Aaron's sermon this past Sunday. If you guys are here, he talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2, living sacrifices, about this is your reasonable act of worship. Like it is a reasonable request that I've given my son for you. You are no, no longer dead in your sin. It's reasonable for you to now live for me. And... Um, Verses 1 and 2 say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have this duty as Christian women to get up on the altar and to die to ourselves and worship to God so that there we truly have life. And I love, I have two more verses about this worship. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't live for ourselves anymore. This is not our, we don't wake up every morning and be like, how can I glorify myself today? How can I achieve my purposes and my dreams? We live for the Lord. And it's a place that is good and fulfilling. We have Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have received heaven. We have received an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful for that. And thus us, sorry, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is the God who has accepted us into his family and now we give him acceptable worship and that includes our work and that means a death to self. So this might sound really depressing. I mean, death to self-death. Nobody ever is like, hey guys, we're gonna talk about something real fun today, death. You know, <laughs> just not something that ever makes the top priorities of joy. Um, I don't think, I don't know if any of you have ever been invited to a women's retreat or I don't know, somebody's house and be like, today we're gonna talk about death. So let's open up. We don't, we don't, we like steer away from that. And it doesn't mean, death to self doesn't mean you become this mindless, numb, you know, shell of a person. You have to give up everything. God has created you. He's given you giftings. He's given you personality. We're called to lay that down too. Sometimes introverts are called to be extroverts. Sometimes people who are homebodies need to go out and serve and do things, okay? So everything is a death to self, but God doesn't want you to become this like mindless like you have flavor from the Lord. And I, I was listening to this one woman. She talked about sometimes the world, like Christian women are said, say you're to call, you're called to die to self. And these are, this is God's kind of prescription for a way of life. And it looks like a jelly bean store and we get the black jelly beans and everybody else gets to come and have the red ones and the pink ones and the green ones with the little spots. I think they're pear. I'm not sure. I like those, but everybody gets to sample all the fun ones. And they're like, oh, look at you. You have to eat the black ones. Nobody likes licorice, you know, and and we look and we think, man, it's so much better over there. They have so much more freedom. But that's not the truth at all. The world is a con. That's a con. Living for yourself is a lie. And it will never lead to that fulfillment and satisfaction. And so when we look at a non-Christian's worldview of work and what is meaningful, we need to be really careful and realize that they may think they have all the options and they may think they have this complete freedom, but that's not true. And so truly living for the Lord, dying to ourself is 
is where freedom is found, is where joy and satisfaction are. And I think about petting a cat. Anybody have a cat? You should get one. They're very wonderful. I'm a cat person. I would never own a dog. Okay. Anyway, so we have this cat, and their hairs grow a certain direction, okay? Cats like to be pet in a certain direction. Living for yourself, not dying to self, living for yourself, is like petting a cat backwards, okay? Cats don't like it. You will not like it, okay? Eventually, you will get to a place where you are the cat being pet backwards and says, this is not a pleasant experience, all right? Cats like to pet, be pet with the grain of the fur, right? And that, that is living for the Lord. That is, that you are, being, you are being the cat being pet in the right direction, okay? When we die to self. It is a place where there is um, great joy. <laughs> so we go with the grain. So it's reasonable. It's a reasonable request God asks us to lay down our life and work for him to do his will. The last one, the last truth about work is that all this work is done by Christ. It's done for Christ and it's done through the power of Christ. Colossians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. In verse or chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 it says, "For by him all things were created." in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here we have Jesus. We are made for him. We are created through him, for him, and he's holding all of this together. And so when we look at work, this is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, I can do it, I'm superwoman. This is a reliance, a dependence on the Lord to not only look at what his will is for our life regarding work, but also to do it in his strength. Uh, and he gives us that. And just like Pastor Aaron said on Sunday, that God is the one who is renewing our minds. He's the one who's regenerating our hearts. He regenerated our hearts, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and mature us in our thinking and gives us the power to do this work. All right, so now I've laid a foundation. We have four truths about work. It's worship. You have to die to yourself in this. Um, it's done through the power of Christ and that it's not optional. So now we're going to turn to the worker at home. <clears throat> this is in Titus 2.5. And when, you, when we're looking at Titus, we, we can make this observation that right off the bat, it says older women... So teach and train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be pure, self-controlled, and to be worker, workers at home. And so we know that this is a skill that needs to be taught and learned. That I believe women are born with a disposition. God has given women a natural inclination to want to have children or to want to be at home. There is that natural focus, but it's something that one can be derailed very easily. I mean, I know I went to college and I was ready to be career woman and not have a family ever. And I believe that it's strongly influential of the world and me not knowing the word at all. And so there, it's something that we're learn, we learn and that we need to be taught and grow in. And so that's the first observation. And let's look at this word, this phrase, worker at home. Greek is actually just one word for that whole phrase. And it's translator as, translated as a worker at home, somebody who cares at home, a keeper at home. And so these are workers or keepers of the home. Women are. I love Proverbs 14.1. 
It says, the wisest of women builds her house, but with folly, but folly, let me stir over. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So when we think about being women who are keepers of the home, who are workers of the home, we need to realize that we are building a structure brick by brick. This is not like my version of like, let's go to Costco, get some big cardboard, cut it out, paste it together, looks like a house. I did it in 30 minutes, right? This is a lifetime of faithful perseverance of brick by brick. And not only that, it's this long-term work. It's a focused work. It involves faithfulness. But we can just one minute be building and the next minute be tearing down. And so we need to look at ways. How do we continue to build? What do we do when we start tearing this down? And that's folly. We need to turn toward wisdom. And God has given us wisdom in his word of how to build our houses. So God has given women a special domain and it is the home. It's a home to manage and keep, which we all know involves a lot of work. So women are to be homeward oriented. That's what this keeper of the home means. We're homeward oriented. That means our heart is toward the people of our home. Our heart is toward them. I like to think about it like this. A woman is, a woman is for her people. She's invested in her people. She wants to bless her people. She wants to see her home and the people in it flourish. How can we do that? What this passage does not say, nor does any other passage in scripture teach, that a woman must be chained to her home, that she can't leave it, or she's confined to its walls, that's her only purpose, the home, that's not what scripture teaches at all. But what this passage does teach is that the home is a top priority for a woman. It means that our work in the home has precedence over other things. Does it mean we can't do other things? No. It means that this is number one. This is a top priority. And that's because the work of the home, the home is a special place. The work in the home is very important. I wrote down some, some things that happen in the home. Got me really excited. The home is a place where culture is made. If we ever look outside and think, I don't like the way culture is going, you are making culture in your own home. You have the opportunity to be a part of changing culture for the glory of God. Culture is being made in your home. I remember a couple years ago, we do stews, brews, and the great book exchange at our house for our city group Christmas party. And it's like a white elephant, but instead we bring books off our shelf and trade them around. And one year we invited our neighbors down the street and they're not believers and they came over and every book that was open was a Christian book. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, they probably feel so awkward. I feel like we should, I should have grabbed some secular book off the shelf. And I told Andy afterwards, I was like, I just feel awful. And he goes, Lauren, they know we're Christian group. They, we have Christian culture in our home. These are our Christian people and this is what they chose to bring and it's actually a blessing for them to see what this Christian culture looks like within our home. They are so they were welcomed, they were talked to, they weren't shunned, they were invited back. We have a, a relationship with them and it was just this moment of wow, I'm creating Christian culture and when people walk into my home, I want them to know it's a Christian place. I'm not saying you can't bring a secular book to a, you know, a book exchange. But so the home is a place where culture is made. The home is a place where the gospel is preached. The home is a place where people are ministered to. It's a place where disciples are made. It's a place where creativity and learning happen. It's a place 
where character is shaped. And I'm not just talking about children. <laughs> it's right here. This is being shaped. And it's a, it's a place where there is respite and care. It's a place where bodies and souls are nourished. We have the opportunity to make fat souls in our home. But that doesn't happen on its own. I think about, you know, in year 2045, will all houses be smart houses? And you just walk in and you're like, prepare my dinner. And they just beep, boop, beep, you know, do it. I mean, think about it. I, I bet people 100 years ago were like, microwaves. <laughs> I'm like, you just wait. It's going to get better. Okay, so even if we had these smart homes, it would still not excuse us from work. We still have the responsibility. It's not going to, our house isn't going to create culture. We create culture. Our house isn't going to disciple and, and create hospitality. That's still our job. And the home has to be run and managed by someone. And so by women making the home a priority, we can run it and manage it for the gift um, for the, the advancement of the gospel for creating this culture. So before we go into some specifics, there, first of all, there are a million things we could talk about of being a keeper of the home. I mean, we could talk about cooking and sewing and a million different things. So I picked three things that I wanted to zero in that are close to my heart, that are dear to me. Um, but before we go over those three things, I wanted to, to just cover a few bases because when we hear worker of the home, keeper of the home, a lot of things like red flags can go up or, you know, can make us a little anxious of what, what does this really say? So first I mentioned that being a keeper of the home doesn't mean that women should not be educated. It doesn't mean that women cannot work outside the home. But what it does mean is that home is a priority. Your home base, your heart is oriented toward the home. There's a pastor, his name is Douglas Wilson, and he had some really wise advice for women who are working outside the home or considering it or volunteering, whatever. If you go, if you, you know, do something outside your home. This was his advice, and I thought it was really wise. He said, does this work remove the home from being a priority or is it an extension of your priority. I thought that was really beautiful because we can do a lot of things outside the home and still be homeward focused. And we look at the woman, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. That woman was a mover and shaker, right? She was business minded. She was buying real estate, planting vineyards. She was a great shopper, very, I, I feel like probably frugal, but all her family was dressed in scarlet. Sounds very fancy. I know that Back in the day, to get purple, they used to have to boil snails, and it was very stinky, so it was very, a very uh, affluent people would wear, wear purple, so red sounds, sounds fancy. So she, she was business-minded. She was a producer. She did a lot of things outside the home, but she was always homeward-focused. She was doing this for her people. She was doing it for, for her home. It was an extension of her priority, and she was still able to care for home. She did uh, things outside, but it wasn't like, oh man, I've been gone for a week and I don't know the situation, what's going on. So her, her work didn't remove her from her home um, or her responsibilities or her roles, but was an extension of her priority. Second, there are different seasons in a woman's life, right? A single woman has great freedom and time to give to working outside the home. The same goes if you're an empty nester, you have more freedom. You have more time to do things. Um, if you are like me and you have young children, the home is basically everything that you were like. This is where I am. This is my, my life right now. And so there are seasons in a woman's life 
where you may be outside the home more or in the home more, but really it never, our priority doesn't ever change. So what does your home look like in your season? That's something to think about and go through. And the last thing is being a keeper of the home is something that involves growth. Believe me. I can testify to this. There are skills and passions that maybe we already have, but need to be honed in or grow. And there are skills that we don't have at all and we lack and we need help and we need training. I remember sitting down with Kristen and asking her, how do you cook a meal for more than one person? (laughs) I don't know if you remember that. We were like at an ice cream shop. I was like, I don't, this is cereal is what I know. Like if I have people over, what does that look like? And so I was very thankful for Kristen of just learning a skill of how to cook for more than one person. Um, And so this growth is part of being sanctified and it's part of being human, of growing in these skills. And we will fall short as homekeepers, as keeper of the home. We don't know everything. We won't know everything. And sometimes we need to try try new things and grow in new things. And it will be like riding a bike with training wheels. This was me hosting Citigroup for the first three years, and we've been doing it, I think, for seven. And so I I feel like the first three years I was wobbly and uncertain. I'm still not amazing at hosting it, but I'm pedaling. I'm asking for directions sometimes. My husband has taught me to ask for help, and we have been greatly blessed by having people in our home. So those are just three three, uh, bases I wanted to cover. And so now I want to talk about how we as Christian women can be keepers of the home and build up the home, lay those bricks, build up this home and not tear it down. Remember, there are a million things we could talk about. There are may- maybe things I don't talk about today that are like, man, I don't, that, was, that one not important, this one important. Okay, sorry. But I do want to point out these two books are by Nancy Wilson, Praise Her in the Gates and the Fruit of Her Hands. And these are very much related. Well, this one's calling to Christian motherhood. This one is more about general. It has homekeeping, duties of homemaking, contentment, walking with God, marriage. There's a chapter called Leftovers. I don't, haven't, I don't know what that is. So anyway, these give more specifics if you're looking for book recommendations. Okay. So number one is as keepers of the home, we set the atmosphere of our home. No matter what season you're in, me as a woman living with roommates, setting an atmosphere. Me as a woman just with a husband, setting the atmosphere. Me with children, I set the atmosphere of the home. Our attitudes and beliefs have a great impact on the atmosphere of our home. Our homes can be ones that are filled with great joy and people walk in and love to be there. Our children love to be at home. They love to come home. Our husband loves to come home from work. They love to be there. Our friends like coming over. Or it can be a place of eggshells where people don't really enjoy coming over, where there is strife or quarreling or bitterness or something that fills a home or even... Uh, a stiffness about the home, a rigidity that people come in and it's like, don't, don't touch anything. Or for my daughter, don't lick anything, you know, like just everything's off limits. You, you set this atmosphere 
And um, I remember learn, listening to this webinar and hearing the speaker describe the fragrance of a Christian home, that it should be one where you walk in and the aroma of Christ fills your house, like warm, fresh baked bread. Have you ever walked into like Great Harvest? Do you guys know that? Oh man, I'm like, you can smell cinnamon rolls. You can smell like the nine grain loaf. You smell it all. And you're like, I just, can I live here? Or if you've ever baked something and it just permeates every area. And that's what we want our home to be like with the fragrance of Christ. And so we have the opportunity to do that. So how? How do we do this? Here are a couple ways I thought of. First is making reading the word and prayer a priority in your life. I mean, we need the guidebook, right? God says that his word is a lamp and a light to our our path. And so John also says that we can do nothing apart from him. Going to God's word, being in his word, going to prayer is an exercise of dependence on the Lord, of what do you want me to do today, Lord? How can I work for you? How can I worship you today? It's that dependence. And also, like Aaron said, it's the renewal of your mind. Man, we need that. Have you guys ever been to the beach and you step on the ocean, you're like the, where the waves wash up on you and you're on the sand at first and it takes about three waves and your feet get a little further down, a little further down. That's like all like you, us living in the world for one day, our feet are like up to our knees in sand. We need something to pull us out and step on the truth again. So just being in the world has this natural washing over and the Lord's word washes our minds so that we can be renewed and that we can be focused and remember what is good and right and beautiful. Another thing we can do is repent quickly when we sin, when we sin against our family members, um, our children, our husband, our friends, our roommates, and forgive quickly. Be quick forgivers. To not let our house be homes of bitterness or strife. Andy <laughs> read the other day the proverb that's like, better, what is it? Oh, now I forget. There's two. One is about, like, if you have a, a woman in your house that is a little hard to live with, it's better to live in the corner of a roof. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And then the other one is better little bread. Like, better to ha- hardly eat anything and have joy in your house than it be full of strife and feasting. And so we, we want to be a home that, that repents quickly, forgives quickly. We want to have a home that is thankful, that we are thankful to the Lord. We can ask our family members, what are you thankful for? Uh, And even with River at night, Andy started asking me, hey, why don't you ask River what she's thankful for? So I sit with her at night and I say, River, what's one thing you're thankful for? And it's always like the cat or the house or, you know, these general food. I'm like, that's great. We need to be thankful for this, especially the cat. We're very thankful for the nanny cat. But what, you know, I said, what happened today? What did God do today that we can thank him for? And she's like, I don't know. Like, there's just no recollection of the day. I'm like, are you kidding me? I took you to the zoo. Like, you can't remember. Like, I poured out my life and you can't remember anything. No, so I go through, we go through our day. I'm like, what are some things that happened today? And let's thank God for them. And it's a practice not only for her, but also for me to be mindful that the Lord is at work and he's blessing us and he's good. So to, I think, our homes fill with the aroma of Christ when we're thankful. And also when we rejoice with those who rejoice. Think about people who come into your home and they're like, I got a new car. And you're like, mm-hmm, I've been driving that CRV for 32 years. And like, 
I want a new car so bad. And so are we rejoicing with others who are rejoicing? Are we mourning with those who are mourning? Are we creating this place where people feel welcome to, that they can be rejoiced with, that they can be cared for when they mourn? So those those, um, it's like having a fragrance of humility in your home when you can do that with other people. And the last thing we could do, this idea, is sing. I'm not a great singer. If you've ever seen me in children's worship, I'm more about the hand motions than I am about the voice. Um, but this is an incredible opportunity to lift the spirit and set the tone in your home of praising God. Now, I love history. I love history. And Martin Luther, we just celebrated Reformation Day on October 31st, and he talked about, he loved music. He, he loved it, and he talked about how music elevates the soul. And Luther actually wrote one of the hymns that we sing here. Does anybody know what it is? Anybody want to take a guess? Aunt Anna, if you know it, you're not supposed to say it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yes, Stephanie. <laughs> I think Stephanie knows. Um, no, that you're right. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He wrote that hymn. We sing it. Um, and he actually wrote that hymn, I just learned, during when he was, he was staying in his town to minister to people who had the plague. Um, and he stayed around. He could have gone somewhere else. Uh, he could have, uh, you know, he risked his health to minister to these people and uh, wrote this psalm. And he thought singing would be a great way for people to know God. And my husband, Andy, he actually said that Martin Luther said the two most important things a Christian could do is one, read the scriptures, and two, to sing. And he also wrote this psalm, uh, a song called Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands. And back in the medieval days, the medieval period was kind of a harsh time frame to live. Just a couple years prior, I mean, a couple hundred years prior, the plague swept through Europe and killed one out of three Europeans. Can you even imagine? And so you think of, I just, it's such a blessing to live in 2019. I'm very grateful for soap and running water. But medieval times were just a really difficult time to live. And they had this saying in Latin, and I can't talk in Latin, so I'm going to say in English, but basically in the midst of life, we are in death. Like it was just a really hard time to live. But Martin Luther wanted to change that around. And he's like, actually for the Christian in the midst of death, sorry, they said in the midst of life, we are in death. Like we're living, but we're really dying. And you see the effect of the middle ages. And here Martin Luther turns that around and says, actually in the midst of death, we live. So Christians, we live. And this was an opportunity, music being this teaching tool. It was a key part of worship, but it was also a God-given source of happiness. Uh, Martin Luther said that music was the mistress and governess of the heart, that it really could elevate the soul. So singing is something that we can do together in our house. Number two, as keepers of the home, we're called to be domestic. Proverbs 31, 27 says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now we know that idleness is not something that we, we want to do. In 1 Timothy, it talks about what idleness leads to, that it creates women who are busybodies, where they're like in the business of other people. They're in your home. They're telling you what they think, their opinions. They're not, they're ignoring their own home and getting in your business. And also they are gossips. And so 
it's important for us as women to not be idle. And one of those ways is to manage our home, to be domestic in our household. And so domestic really means running your home. It means learning to manage it, to manage your household affairs. Are we looking well to the ways of our household? Are we caring and managing the things that God has given us stewardship in? God has given us things in our home. He's given us people. He's given us friends. Are we managing? Are we stewarding it well? Let's think about God and his character. God is the God of order, not of chaos. And so when we learn to manage our homes, when we take the chaos in our homes and learn to manage them, when we take that work seriously, we grow in godly character. We are learning to order things in our domain just as God ordered things, just as God has an order. He ordered creation. He ordered worship. He has order for worship. He has order for the seasons. Think about how God even created the world. He created the earth and then he filled it. He created the sea and then he filled it. He has order. And so managing our home, it is hard work, but it's an opportunity to reflect the character of God back to our families and to the world. So managing our home is, is hard work. And there are some areas of domesticity that we may be better at than others. And so let's be practical. Let's talk about what domesticity is. It involves things like cooking, cleaning, decorating, creating, baking, sewing, caring for the home, managing finances, having a budget, creating a schedule. These are things that create order in our home to manage our home. It's a way for us to look well to the ways of our household. So women, in being domestic, really elevate the home. I love talking about this because God is a God who creates beauty, beautiful things. He didn't just make a flower, one type of flower, and it was gray, and it did all the things a flower needed to do, like have pollen, but he created billions of types of flowers and they're so beautiful and there's so many different ones of them and it adds beauty to this life. And that's just flowers. Think of all of his creation that pours out speech and testifies to him and how beautiful these things are that he made. So women really, because they're domestic, elevate from the status quo. I mean, what do you really need to live? If you think about a house, maybe a bed to lay on, maybe a table. I remember going to my husband's, well, it was before we were married, we were just dating. I remember going to his apartment and walking in there and, you know, it, it was the status quo. They, he had what he needed to live. And, and for him, he was actually a sculpture major in school. And so he actually did have things hanging on the wall. Now, granted, None of those things are still hanging in our home today, but I, I appreciated he had a, an artistic um, uh, desire and was able to, I feel like, elevate his house a little more. Um, but yeah, so women, being domestic, we create beauty in our home. We elevate it above the status quo, and it's a blessing. We make something beautiful for this world, and it worships the Lord. Our home is a place that fruitfulness happens in, productivity happens in, and um, it's a gift by being domestic. So one example of domesticity 
is the table. Now, most of us have a table in our house that we eat around, we invite people to, and the table in the Bible is synonymous with fellowship. The table is our ministry to our family and to other people that we bring in. It's where we practice hospitality. It's where we feed and nourish bodies. And it's where we discuss the Lord. As women, we bring a blessing to the table when we plan and prepare for it. It doesn't mean that every time we eat, it has to be Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving meal. It can be a modest meal, but the fact that we're planning and preparing to feed, that we are thoughtful, that we clean up afterwards, these are all things that are domestic and care for the people and the things of our home. It's having that as a priority. And and we can even elevate the table. That it's not just, oh, we have food on it and that's the end, but we can add things to it. Now for me, that means around holidays, I do a little um, extra decorating or uh, I used to make these uh, turkeys out of, I say used to, you can tell we've changed different things, but we made turkeys out of these truffles and cookies and set them at the place. It was just a fun way to make things beautiful or elevate it or putting flowers on the table. Now I'm not saying that happens every day. Mostly I cook and we have napkins and I feel like that that is a success. But my grandma she had the gift of making every meal elevated. Now she had 10 kids and I, I can't imagine what dinners look like every night at her house uh, when my dad was growing up. But so she had 10 kids and she just had this desire to elevate the meals. Even breakfasts were fun. And she did this in little ways, like having a tablecloth or having napkin rings. She had like 4 million napkin rings and they actually matched, <laughs> you know? She, she just had themes. And sometimes you would come to the table and there would be a little piece of candy or there would be like a little figurine in the middle. I mean, it, was not, it, it wasn't like this Martha Stewart classic tablescape for Christmas dinner every time we went to a meal, but it was a place that was beautiful and elevated. And I loved coming to eat at her house. She gloried in what the table meant. It was a place to gather, not just to eat a meal, but to worship God together. So that is just one way that we can practice domesticity that makes things beautiful, that shares the order of of God, his orderliness, uh, and his character, and a way to bless our families and the people we have over. So number three, as keepers of the home, we are generous and sacrificial. This is where I think the whole dying to self really hits the pavement, that there are things we don't mind giving freely. Like, sure, yes, I will give this, I will do this, but we have boundaries. And we're like, I'm cutting you off, that's, that's it. And for me, it's sleep. I love my sleep. I like to sleep a lot. And when it gets interrupted, it's very, uh, I'm not a very generous and sacrificial person. And actually, I had already written this talk, but last night, my son came in multiple times last night for random things. And I'm like, what, what is happening here? <laughs> Don't you know I have boundaries here? It's called sleep and you need to sleep too. So we have these parts of us that we're like, yes, I will be generous or sacrificial to a point, but sometimes we're called to go beyond that. Um, and that's really what being a keeper of the home looks like. It's going beyond of being sacrificial, that this is reasonable worship to the Lord. This is not just about you 
doing things so that you are superwoman or that you are, you know, haggard and ragged by the end of the week. This is about the Lord getting glory and, and this is your worship. And so an example of being sacrificial and generous in your home is when people are sick. People are sick and usually the first day you rally, you're like, we're going to beat this. We can do this. I'm going to make you homemade chicken soup. I hear bone broth cures everything. You got a mole? Swipe a little bone broth on there. We'll be good. I mean, you, you get the Gatorade. You are ready to minister to your family. So day one is good. Day two, you're like, okay, I'm a little tired. Didn't sleep well last night. People are sick. I'm not feeling so great. Day three, you're like, okay, you get one more day. All right. And then that's it. I'm not taking care of you anymore. Uh, that's done. And then it lasts for like two more weeks. And by the end, you're like, I give up <laughs> the Lord, the Lord, please come back. And so it just, ex- this is an exercise of dependence on the Lord in these times, but it's in a ministry. And in one of the books, um, Praise Her in the Gates, there's actually a whole chapter dedicated to the ministry of caring for our family members when they're ill. It's a time of sacrifice and it's a time of worshiping the Lord. It's a ministry opportunity, and it does take that generous and sacrificial heart. Another way that we are keepers of the home and we exercise this generosity and sacrifice is having people in our home. It's practicing hospitality, breaking bread together, being ministers of the gospel over food. It takes a generous and sacrificial heart to do this. I remember going to my first city group, Andy and I were newly married and we went to the Billman city group and I show up, we show up with this giant like tube of pretzel mix from our wedding. It was like leftover and I walk in, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Anybody like pretzels? You know, here we go. And there were a lot of people and there wasn't a lot of food. And I remember Kelly going right to her fridge um, and opening up her fridge and making salad for everybody. And it wasn't something, she didn't look around and be like, hey, you guys, you were irresponsible or you're not being generous. She wasn't complaining. She didn't say anything. She just went to the kitchen and fed the people in her home. And that took generosity and it took sacrifice. That was a meal for her family at a different time that she gave up um, in worship to the Lord. And people were blessed that night. They were full. They got to eat. And so it was a blessing to them. But look at the bricks she was building in her house. That was not lost on me. That had an impact that will hopefully just, I mean, it's already extended beyond her own home. It's impacted me. It will impact what I teach my daughter. It has impacted how we lead our city group. And I'm so grateful for that act of sacrifice. You never know. We talked about Augustine's mother and her prayer, her dedicated faithful prayers for her son and, and the fruit that, we, that was reaped for that or is and still being reaped. And so you never know what your generosity and your sacrifice is doing for the kingdom. It is a gift to worship the Lord when we have friends and family and people over in our home. So those were just three ways that we can be keepers of the home. Again, there are so many things we could talk about. There are so many skills we could try and experiment with and be creative with and master, but be learners. Be learners of the domestic arts. Teach women domestic arts. Teach your daughters domestic arts. Learn to be homeward oriented as a priority and know that your work is not in vain, that this is a precious gift from the Lord and that we have the opportunity to make this beautiful Uh, and make culture. 
So the last thing I wanted to talk about is the freedom we have as women who labor for the Lord, who do his work. So many of you know I have a podcast and I, I get emails from women occasionally. And this one woman wrote me and said, you know, Lauren, I'm trying to be all the things the Bible calls a woman to be and to live up to this. And I just am falling short. I can't do this. This is this is difficult and some things I don't even like and some things are just, I, I feel like a failure. And I get that. I get into checklist mode where I'm like, all right, here it goes. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, write down 400 things. And I start, you know, I never, I get it to the end of the day and there's not one thing checked off, you know. But, but somebody, somebody ate something. So that's good. So when we get into this checklist mode, we can miss really the purpose of work. Remember we talked about the purpose of work is to bring God glory, to advance his kingdom, to cultivate. And so here's the truth. As women, our home is a priority, but so is worshiping and knowing God, that that is our top priority, to worship the Lord, to know him. And part of that overflow of worshiping him is to be ministers in our home, to be keepers of the home. So each day we have to look at, when we wake up, we have the opportunity to go in a direction that glorifies God. When we read scriptures and we begin to grow in this godly character, we begin to know what is good to do that day, what honors the Lord. And so we don't know what each day will bring. We don't know if we'll wake up and have a sick kid and it will totally change the course of the day. We don't know what will happen. And so we wake up with hearts that are ready to glorify God and have a mind to honor him. And we are faithful with what is in front of us. We are faithful with what the Lord has given us that day. We prioritize the home and we are faithful with this. We have so much freedom in Christ to set about his work in the home. It doesn't mean we're going to get it all right or we're going to be the most amazing at it or we're going to be perfect at every task, but it does mean we're called to be faithful. We're called to persevere. We're called to lay brick by brick by brick and to be faithful with what God has given us that's right in front of us. Some days are for work. Some days are for rest, but all days are for knowing Christ more. All days are for giving Christ the glory. All days are for resting in him. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to know your purpose for us, to learn more about what work is, how we can lay down our lives and work for you, that we truly are daughters of the King and we have been blessed and we have so many privileges, but we also have responsibilities. Father, I pray that you would teach us more about work and that we would not um, get into a place where we feel pressure to perform and pressure to do things for our own glory or to look good or because we think we need to please you um, in a way that Christ has already done. Please forgive us when we fall into those areas and help us live as free women who enjoy the things you've given us, who manage our households well. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much.